Good morning. Today's reading is from Deuteronomy 8. This is the word of the Lord. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that, as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest, when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness, with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought, your, brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you know this, but since the Civil War, the U.S. Census Bureau, who's tracked this, um, reports that more than one million men and women have died serving in the U.S. Armed Forces since the Civil War. Many of those were, as you can imagine, in World War I, World War II, that's over half the total alone. I prayed earlier, so, so much, we need to remember this, of the religious freedom of assembly, historically speaking, 
that, that we are uniquely enjoying right now. We owe to them. Direct result of their sacrifice. We, we have a debt of gratitude on a weekend like this, friends, that is, that is easy to overlook for how quickly we forget. And yet forgetting is so common to man, isn't it? You forget stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, we forget homework assignments. We forget keys. We forget to pack things in our suitcase. We, we forget to pick something up at the store. We, we forget kids' birthdays or how many years you've been married. Young and old alike, forgetting affects us. So, though I would argue it, it can be uniquely painful in the latter years of life. If dementia sets in, right? And someone you love or caring for, they, they, they struggle to even remember the name of their spouse or your name as one of their children. That's hard. But whether the, the underlying cause is, is human frailty or or a degenerative disease of some kind like dementia, we, we tend to think of forgetting as something that, that happens to us, so to speak. Not, not something we do. I mean, I, I can't think of a time I thought, you know what, today, my goal, I'm going to try to forget my keys or forget my wallet, right? I don't, I, it just happens, it's an accident, an unfortunate occurrence that, that we apologize for, not a sin we confess, unless our wife keeps reminding us that we need to make more lists in our life or something like that, for which we might be morally responsible. And, and I think in, in many cases that's true. Our, our forgetting is an accident. Unfortunate, but, but accidental. But there's, a, there's another sort of forgetting in Deuteronomy 8 that's very much a moral issue. It's not accidental. It's not something that happens to us. It's something for which every person in this room will give an account to God. And it's a form of forgetting, friend, that, that if left unaddressed, will literally destroy your soul. It's common to man, but it's not an innocent thing. It's a deadly serious thing. I'm, I'm talking about ingratitude that forgets our utter and complete dependence on a merciful God for life and breath and everything. That's the forgetting Deuteronomy 8 is talking about. Forget that, my friend, and you will die. Literally. You realize that was the cause of, of Israel's own demise. Psalm 78, 42. They did not remember God's power. Or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. They, they forgot their dependence on God. 
and the sustaining power of his word. They, they forgot his faithfulness to his word was, was the only source of all the good things they enjoyed. They forgot they owed their very life to him. They forgot Acts 17, 25. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Amen. And that's doubly true. Consider this. If you know the joy of trusting and obeying Jesus, 1 Corinthians 1.30, and because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why? Well, Deuteronomy 30, 20 puts it so clearly, so simply, for he is your life. Yahweh is your life, Israel. Walking in the path of his commands is the only path of life. Look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Why? So that you may live. Moses says that over and and over again in in the first seven chapters of Deuteronomy. If you're hearing me say that and you think, Matthew, haven't you said that before? Why can't you say something new? Well, I'm saying it again because God says it again. Because he knows we need to hear it again. That only those who embrace the obedience of faith will experience the covenant faithfulness of God. But he doesn't just tell Israel, think about this, what she has to do to experience the life God is eager to give her. Israel, you want to experience life? You have to walk in the obedience of faith. Figure it out. Good luck. I'm watching. No, he doesn't just tell him what she has to do to experience the life he's eager to give. He tells her how to do it. Look back at verse one. How do you keep the whole commandment? Look at verse two. By what? By remembering the whole way. How do you keep the whole commandment? (laughs) By remembering the whole way. The whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years. Why, why did Israel fail to trust and obey? Why, why do we fail to trust and obey? Because we forget. We forget. What, what will empower you to trust and obey? It's not a mystery. Being careful to remember. Careful to remember, okay? Here's the point of the whole chapter. You, you will Keep God's word. You will only keep God's word to the degree you remember your utter dependence on God's word for life and breath and everything. That's the point. If, if, remember, if keeping is the fruit, remembering is the root. If keeping is the end, remembering is the means. A humble heart remembers. A proud heart forgets. Those are the two points Moses makes. And so those are the two points that I'm going to make. 
All right, point number one, a humble heart remembers. Verses one through 10. Humble heart remembers. What, what exactly does Israel need to remember about the last 40 years? That's a long time. Four, four decades that have passed since the Lord rescued her from oppression in Egypt. Four decades. That's longer than a lot of you in this room. She spent wandering in a desert wilderness on account of her failure to trust and obey the Lord. What, what was the big thing God was getting at in all that? Wandering. But what was he trying to accomplish through that wilderness? Well, it's an attitude Moses identifies in the middle of verse 2. Look there. Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you, that he might, what? Humble you. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Let's make this crystal clear right now. God wasn't testing her because he lacked knowledge. Okay? Israel was the one who needed to see the truth of her spiritual condition. Right? That this knowing in verse 2, that he might know, describes a process of God bringing something into the light. Something that was hidden, now being revealed, making something crystal clear for Israel and everyone around her to see and know. He's, he's, he's what? He's orchestrating the circumstances of her life. What does she need to know? What's he bringing into the light? What's he revealing? The depth of her need for God. And her dependence on the Lord for provision and protection. That's what he's bringing into the light. In a word, the Lord was working to humble her. To work a heart in her that cries out, Lord, I need you. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I depend on you. That kind of heart, a heart that cries out those things to Yahweh was the divinely intended effect of 40 years in a wilderness. It wasn't aimless. It wasn't, oh man, you took that, you know, that shoot down to the start of the candy land board or whatever. You know, it's, no, <laughs> there was a purpose was humility. Wandering in the wilderness was not a cruel punishment. It was an act of loving discipline, friends. Loving discipline. It, it was the Father's way of teaching Israel to walk in the humility of dependence. Look at verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger? Friend, do you have a category for God letting you hunger? Do, do you believe that the God with whom we have to do would let people, let you hunger sometimes? Wait? Long? Thirst? He let you hunger and then he fed you with manna. Manna was a, a wafer-like substance that the Lord rained down from heaven every night to feed Israel in the desert for 40 years. 
They had never seen it before when it first showed up. So they called it manna, which literally means, what is it? (laughs) But before he sent the manna, he first let her go hungry. Think about that. Why? Because painful trials are the sweetest of mercies when they awaken you to your need for the Lord. Do you believe that? Painful trials are the sweetest of mercies when they awaken you to your need for the Lord. One of the kindest things God will ever do for you, friend, is not take away all your hunger, but give you a feeling sense of just how dependent you are on him for life and breath and everything. And that kind of humility is uniquely, perhaps only acquired through the school of suffering. In situations in your work or in your relationships or in your family or with your kids or your grandkids or your marriage or your sports team or your poverty or your sickness that bring you face to face with your weakness. God humbled Israel. and He, he humbles us today. So that we might know something. And when I say know something, I'm I'm not just talking about some sort of, can you pass the ordination test? An intellectual checkbox because it's true. Affirm the right answer kind of knowledge. I'm talking about an experiential, I've tasted and seen kind of knowledge that the end of verse 3, look there is the sum and substance of our existence as creatures. This is the conviction. That this is the humility. The end of verse 3. That God was after in Israel's heart. It sounds like this. It believes this. It knows this. It trusts this. It lives this kind of way. What is it? Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by all literally, or every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Moses' point in saying that is not, you need to read God's word as much as you need to eat breakfast. Though, that's arguably true. His point is that every human being has a choice to make. Follow me. Does life come from what you create for yourself by your power? Or does life come from what God creates for me by the power of his word? Which one is it? Am I a self-sufficient creator, door A, or am I a dependent creature, door B? And before you just spit out the right answer, if you're a Christian and think you know, okay, and thankfully God's worth tells us here in verse three, consider this, which one of those stories do you live by? If I just followed you around, didn't know anything about you, just watched you, just looked at your calendar, flipped through your checkbook, walked alongside of you, all day long, what you're doing, what you're saying, what you're watching, what you're looking at, what you're thinking, what, 
which story would you persuade me you're actually living by? The biblical answer, friend, to so many of our anxieties, anxieties at work, anxieties at home, anxieties about anxiety, (laughs) is not more rest in the sense of more self-care or more me time or more vacations. It's repentance. It's, it's what? It's rejecting and refusing to embrace the lie that you have the power to create or sustain, or restore life for your family, for your business, for your church, for your friends, or even your own body through the work you do. You're not the creator, my friend. God is the creator. You're not the redeemer. What did John the Baptist say? I I am not he. I'm not the Messiah. God is the Redeemer. So let's think about this. How does God create? If he's the only creator, how does he create? By the power of his voice. Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Do you realize the reason the earth is still spinning now and your lungs are still breathing is only found ultimately in Hebrews 1 verse 3. He, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's how he creates, power of his voice. So how does he redeem? Anyone want to guess? It's by the power of his voice. (laughs) Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent out his word. We we declared this at the beginning of the service today. He sent out his word and healed them. He didn't just heal them. How did he do it? He sent out his word and delivered them from their destruction. What, What sort of word does that? What's the word of the gospel? Right? That the good news of, of Jesus Christ and, and all he's done to accomplish salvation for mankind. 1 Corinthians 15.1 Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Well, what's Paul begging for us to see? What, what, is, what is Israel's history? Challenge her to see too. That God's word doesn't just give us information about God. Expressing his thoughts, revealing his opinions, desires. No, God's word is how God acts in the world. When when God wants to get something done, think about this. What does he do? He speaks. He simply speaks. He sends a word. He ultimately does it in a son kind of way, right? By sending the word made flesh. Hebrews 1, 2. God, God's word is his power in action. It's not just writing on a page. 
It's his power in action. He, he gives us physical life by the word that comes from his mouth. He gives us spiritual life by the word that comes from his mouth. And that, my friends, is really humbling. Why? Because on every front, in every way, we are what? We are dependent on the word of God. My boys had a wonderful experience this spring of a, a cardinal couple. Is that what you call a mom and dad cardinal? I don't know. A pair, something. Building a nest literally 18 inches from the bathroom window. And they got to watch the mom and the dad come. Little eggs hatch. Cardinal mouths open. Incredible. Just incredible. Because it wasn't like on TV, National Geographic. It was real. They got, they got to watch the parents just dropping food in their mouth utterly and completely dependent. That's what your relationship to the word that comes out of God's mouth is like. You're utterly and completely dependent. Your very life depends on his word. And and he provided for Israel through a lot more than a daily food delivery through his word. Look, look at verse four. This is stunning. Your clothing, 40 years, what happened? Your clothing didn't wear out on you and your feet did not swell these 40 years. I mean, having logged some serious miles as a backpacker, I can confirm the experience of the average Revolutionary War soldier. When you walk a lot of miles Your feet swell, okay? Your shoes wear out. They just do. What what was Israel's experience for 40 years? No swelling. Same clothing. And and think about this. It wasn't like it was my expensive Gore-Tex stuff. You know, with all our sun-treated nylon and DuPont crazy fabrics and things. No, no. It was a remarkable expression of of God's providential care for her. Food in her mouth. Down to the smallest detail in her life. And the appropriate response was not, oh, well, that's cool. (laughs) Somebody take a picture. (laughs) Keep one of those Items of clothing. Put it in a museum. No. No, God God was instructing. God was was disciplining Israel in a a formative kind of way. He, He was teaching them, think about this, through the clothing on their back and the skin on their feet that man does not live by bread alone, work of your hands alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He used clothing and skin on your feet to shout that. Israel, know in your heart, you're you're dependent on me. And again, I I warn you, friend, he's not talking about an intellectual orthodoxy. You know, yes, pastor, I mentally assent that I am dependent on God. No, look at the end of verse 6. He's talking about, what's this look like? What's it feel like? He's talking about the fear of the Lord here. Okay? Not a checkbox, fear of the Lord. What's that? A trembling awe grounded in the depth of our need and the wonder of God's provision. That's what he's talking about. 
It's a dependence on God that leads to delight in God. It's not, unfortunately, I need you, obviously. So, could you help me one more time? I promise I'll try not to bother you too much. Just one more time. No, no. Humble dependence, the fear of the Lord. It's it's a heart that cries out, Jesus, thank you that you have new mercies waiting for me this morning. Thank you for that, Lord. Give me this day my daily bread. I need you and I praise you for your faithfulness to me. And, And even as we do that, friends, keep in mind, humility remembers more than just what God has done in the past. It remembers and anticipates his promises in the future. The remembrance cuts both ways. Look at verse seven. For the Lord your God is soon bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs. Listen to the imagery here. Flowing out in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of of vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, Israel. A land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. What's the point of that? Why not just say, hey, it's going to be great. (laughs) The point is that those who humbly look to God to give them life instead of trying to create it for themselves, they do more than survive. They thrive. Okay? They don't just find life. They find abundant life. The the physical joys of Canaan, think about this, were everything the wilderness never provided. Couldn't provide. Friend, the life Jesus offers you is everything this world cannot provide. Hasn't changed. Jesus came to give you life. More friends? More screen time? Fewer challenges? I know, more vacations. No. No, something immeasurably better than that. It's a Psalm 4 kind of life. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Who will give us life? Where will we find life? I long for life. Maybe you don't even consider yourself a Christian, but even as I say that, there's something in your soul that just cries out, I Long for life. Look here, friend. Here's where it's found. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have, than the world has, when their grain and wine and copper and iron and bread and wheat and barley abound. The life Jesus offers you that you will never find in the world is the joy of knowing and being loved by our Father in heaven. And that's a life we experience now in part 
And one day in full, when what? When, when the Edenic splendor of Canaan is swallowed up by the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. If, if you remember your dependence on the Lord to give you life and obey him accordingly, Psalm 31:19 describes your inheritance. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you, God, have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you. What's his point? None who wait upon the Lord will be put to shame. That's his point. And when you remember, when, when you experience, when you anticipate God's blessings, what does a humble heart say? What, what does a humble heart do? What is the heart God was after in Israel, seeking after in Israel over 40 years? How's it respond? It's about time you did something good for me, God. I mean, it's not like I've been waiting a while or anything. It's not like you've been blessing Johnny over there who, who could give a rip about keeping your law while I'm over here doing what's right and just struggling to pay the bills. Huh? Friends, that's, that's not humility. That's self-righteousness. Verse 10, look there, captures the voice of humble remembrance. You shall bless the Lord your God. Give thanks for the good land he has given you. Or in the words of Psalm 107, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. What, what is Moses' whole point in the first half of this chapter? If you want life-sustaining, joy-producing power to keep the whole commandment, well then remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you. Remember his past mercies, remember his present mercies, remember his future mercies, and then what? Trust and obey him accordingly. A humble heart remembers. That's point one. Here's point two. And it is the exact opposite of point one. Because Moses is a good pastor. And he knows that if you don't get it the first time, try, try, try again. Point two, a proud heart forgets. All right? A humble heart, what? Remembers. What's a proud heart do? Forgets. Put on and put off. Right? Don't just be careful to do this. A humble heart remembers. Be careful to not do that. A proud heart forgets. What's that look like? Well, look at verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules, and his statutes, which I command you today. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. Slow down there <laughs> and think really carefully with me. There are places in your Bible that you do not do well to read quickly. Verse 11 is one of them. 
So think carefully, because God's glorified when we think his thoughts after him. Think hard with me, okay? Moses isn't just repeating verses one and two. Okay, I get it. There's some connection you see, pastor, between keeping God's commands and remembering all, I don't know who he is, what he's done. Remembering, that's something about remembering maybe. And they're connected. I get it, I get it. Moving on. No. No, Moses is building on verses one and two by saying two new things that are critically important. So listen up. First, you cannot separate, what's he saying? You can't separate our choice to remember and our choice to obey. You can't separate them. The, the whole point of Deuteronomy 8 is that they are two sides of the same coin and can't be separated from each other, okay? The choice to not keep God's commands is a choice to not remember our dependence on him for life. And the choice to not remember our dependence on him is what? A choice to disobey his commands. Either way, it's a what? Choice. And the warning, take care lest you forget, clearly implies that though our default setting is to forget, remembering is possible. but it won't happen automatically. See, it's the result of careful, deliberate effort. Hard, non-vacation kind of work. (laughs) That the fruit of taking care to what? To call to mind, to consider, to meditate on who God is, what he's done, our absolute dependence on his word. You can't separate the choice to keep his commands from the choice to remember. It's the first thing he says in verse 11. But here's the second. This is really important. One of the ways we remember the Lord is by keeping his commands. I'll say that again. One of the ways we remember the Lord is by keeping his commands. Look at that little word by in the middle of verse 11. Little words matter. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. How do we forget? By not keeping his commands. In other words, keeping God's commands isn't just the result of remembrance. It is the means of remembrance. That the act of obeying God's commands, how does that work? The act of obeying God's commands, it expands our awareness and our experience of the truth of God's worth and value. It, It actually causes us to remember. And the act of disobeying God's commands, what's that do? Well, that diminishes our awareness and our experience of God's worth and value. Such that that disobedience actually turns around and causes you to forget. Let me give you an example. (laughs) We need an illustration, all right? Think about this. What kind of person obeys God's commands to practice radical generosity? Money, time, whatever. What kind of person does that? Well, it's a person who remembers who remembers their absolute dependence on God's generosity. But I'm not that kind of person, Matthew. Being honest, I'm stingy with my time, my money, you name it. 
I don't want anyone else to come on vacation with me because then I'd have to die to myself. <laughs> you know, I, I struggle to remember God's faithfulness to provide. How, how can I grow, pastor? Well, I'll tell you, friend, or, or rather I'll simply tell you what God is already telling you in verse 11. If you want to grow in remembering God's radical generosity, ready for this? You have to choose to practice radical generosity. Okay? Why do I say that? Because if we forget the Lord by not keeping his commands, we remember the Lord by keeping his commands. And we get better at remembering the more we keep God's commands because the more we keep God's commands, the more we're forced to walk by faith. So think about it. What happens when I step out in obedient trust and practice radical generosity? When I choose to obey God's commands, choose to practice radical generosity. Well, then what happens? I experience more and more of God's faithfulness to me. Proverbs eleven twenty five: whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. And our experience of God's generosity The more that happens, well, what does that do? Well, that strengthens our awareness of his generosity, which helps us to remember his generosity and compels us to keep practicing radical generosity. Do you see how that works? But bottom line, here's the point. Okay, back out of the illustration, what's the big picture point? Don't wait to obey until you feel humble and find yourself just spontaneously remembering the goodness of the Lord. I haven't wanted to obey for years. And, you know, I woke up this morning. All I could think about was, all I have needed, your hand is provided. No. If that happens, great. But, but don't wait to obey until you feel humble and find yourself just spontaneously remembering the goodness of the Lord. Strengthen your humility. Deepen the wellspring of your remembrance by choosing to obey. That's the point. And why, you might ask, (laughs) is all this remembering and strengthening my remembrance through my obedience so important, Matthew? Well, look at verse 12. Friend, it's important because pride is lurking at your door. Take care lest when you have eaten and are full. And have built good houses and live in them, verse 13. And all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God. Brothers and sisters, what's Moses saying? Forgetting the goodness of the Lord and our dependence on his word is not the result of old age or being a Christian for the long time. It's the fruit of pride. It's a heart that's lifted up. Look at verse 17. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. The relative absence of suffering in my life? Where'd that come from? Well, that's the fruit of my wise choices. The godly character, professional success, athletic achievement I found, that's the fruit of my diligence. The good behavior my kids display? Mm, thing of beauty. That's the fruit of my parenting. The physical health I enjoy? The fact that my garments dead, I have the cardiovascular fitness of a 20-year-old the other day? 
That's the fruit of my discipline. With diet and exercise. All all the people that have been positively impacted by my gospel ministry. I mean, not to boast, but I did that. Fill in the blank. Because no, you didn't. You didn't do any of that by your own power. All of that, every single bit of it, is a sovereign expression of God's work in your life. And listen, that kind of attitude that I just illustrated, that's that's self-sufficiency speaking. That's, that's self-achievement boasting. And behind all of that, lurking underneath all of that, is a proud, ungrateful heart that refuses to remember the Lord's benefits. And give thanks for his benefits. And, and depend on his benefits. Because a not-so-little part of you, or me, believes that even if they are his benefits, it was your power that ensured he sent them in your direction. Brothers and sisters, hear me. When we forget the Lord, it's personal. We we are literally crossing his name out in the story of his faithfulness and arrogantly writing in our own. So slow down and consider, who is this one whom your pride would have you to forget? Look at verse 14. We're going to move quickly here. He's the God who delivered you from Egypt, Israel. Christian, has not your God delivered you from sin and death through the gospel of his son? Is that not the most unspeakably good gift, great gift, the gift of himself he could ever give you? Would you, do you dare belittle his saving grace, forgetting him as the God of no worth and value? Verse 15, he's the God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. Christian, have you not experienced the Father's comfort and guidance through some of the darkest nights of your soul? Even when suffering, your suffering was the result of your own sin, just like Israel, has God not continued to, to graciously convict you? And restore you and draw you and, and preserve you and, and lead you in paths of righteousness? Would you dare Would you belittle his preserving grace? Not just his saving grace, his preserving grace? Forgetting the Lord as somewhat of no worth or value? Verse 15, go back there. He's the God who brought you water out of the flinty rock. The wilderness is not a hospitable place. It's filled with lifeless rocks. I should have brought one up here this morning. It's not... It's the last place, honestly, you expect to find water. Christian, has God not used all manner of flinty rock situations in your life for your good? Situations where you said, nothing good over here. (laughs) And yet that was the the very relationship, the very hardship, the very trial that, that the Spirit used to deepen your knowledge and love for Jesus. 
Would, would you belittle this supernatural grace? Forgetting the Lord as someone of no worth and value. Look at verse 16. He's the God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. Christian, has God not provided for you? In wonderful ways that are really easy to overlook. I mean, maybe you didn't see it at the time. But looking back, the spouse he gave you, the church he placed you in, the friend you just happened to meet, the job he provided for you, the parents that introduced you to Jesus, no matter how imperfectly. Is that not his kindness? Okay, Matthew, I get the point. My entire life from beginning to end is a testimony to the faithfulness of God. But here's the deal, pastor. When push comes to shove, I don't like being dependent. I don't like being weak. I don't like needing help so much or being the person in community group that's always asking for prayer. Can't I just enjoy a little bit of self-sufficiency and competency for a hot second, God? (laughs) I mean, sure, we all need him from time to time, but, but man, 40 years of dependence. The wilderness I'm living in. I hate to break it to you, God, but, but surely there's a better way. Friend, oh, have I not said that to God? here's what's missing. Here's what you need to remember. The wilderness isn't a knock against God. It's an expression of his love and his care for you. Why do I dare say that? Because the Lord loves you too much to not humble you. He's teaching you to walk by faith. Because the path of faith, the path of joyful dependence is the only path that leads home. Look at verse 16. God is testing you to what? Look at the very end of the verse. To do you good in the end. To do you good. Why are you in a wilderness right now, Christian? To do you good. God says, the, the, the good, what is this good, pastor? Well, the good end God has in view here, this is a lot more than copper and iron ore lying all over the place or suffering and death being no more in heaven. It's better than that. As sweet as those gifts will be, the good God is after, the good God is forming in you, working all things together for your good, Christian. What is that good? Well, it's, it's a good that looks like this. It's the joy of walking in daily dependence on the shepherd of your soul. That's the good. Because by humbling us, bringing you face to face with your insufficiency, your inadequacy, your daily need, and your daily provision from the Lord, the Spirit is opening to you the door of life. Because true life is reserved 
for those who walk in cheerful dependence on the God who provides. We hate dependence, don't we? In our pride. But think about this. Dependence is an exceedingly good thing when the arm that you are leaning on, the hand that you are holding, is the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. That's a good thing. Because knowing him is the best of gifts. So when God does a man or woman good, when he wants to do you good, Here's what you should expect God to do. Don't bring a list to him and say, you want to do me good? It looks like these 10 things in that order. Get moving. No. When God does you good, he tells us what the good is. What's the good? He does whatever is necessary to burn in your soul a conviction. Not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is your greatest good, Christian. Because you're not the creator. You're not the redeemer. And knowing that, believing that, rejoicing in that, he is. Well, that's the secret to true joy. The whole point of Deuteronomy 8 is that a proud heart forgets and a humble heart remembers. Proud heart forgets, humble heart remembers. Remembers what? Our dependence on the word of God. Look at verse 18, we'll end here. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Where's Moses leaving Israel? We survey God who keeps his promises. His word of promise is the explanation for Israel's life. It's the only explanation for your life, Christian, because In Jesus, the son of God who lived for you and died for you and rose from the grave for you, all the promises, all the words of God find their yes and their amen. So remember what the Lord has done for you through the power of his word. Remember what he will do through the power of his word and then keep his word accordingly. Keep his word by remembering your dependence on God's word because it is your very life, all other paths, the pride would send you running down. They all end with what? Verses 19 and 20, three times, perish, perish, perish. God doesn't want you to perish. The men and women in this room don't want you to perish. So don't have a proud heart that forgets. Have a humble heart. It remembers. Let's pray.